Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep, a podcast that used to be about books. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording in North Koreatown, Los Angeles. Uh, before we get started today, I just want to take on a second to thank all of the people who have jumped into our Metreon campaign. <laughs> the patreon meet buddies <laughs> at metreon.com um yeah the metreon campaign is going great a bunch of people who are meet buddies already have have signed up on the new system which again you don't have to do but you're welcome to it's nice and easy and also a bunch of those people have uh, like increased the size of their regular donations so people there's been people who've been donating for a very long time and i am just i'm just constantly blown away by all of it by your generosity and the fact that you, you keep listening to this crap for some reason so thank you I'm shocked and pleased and humbled. So thanks to all our Metreons for continuing to support the show. Um, if you want more of us, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be streaming again on Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash turtles. We're gonna be playing something new this week. We're either gonna be playing an indie game or a really big game. I don't know. I'm not particularly concerned. I'm just gonna hang out with the chat. So if you wanna come hang out in the chat with me while Hunter plays a video game and Anthony discusses it with him. That is available. I would enjoy that very much. Twitch.tv slash Space Cats Peace Turtles. Let me introduce you to your panel for the day. First up, he's at Anthony Lopez Part 2 in Southeast Portland. It's Mr. Anthony Lopez. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, Alex. I wish the you know you we lived in the same state. We were recording in the same room and there wasn't a plague going on. So mm-hmm. I could just grab you by the back of your head and we could shake each other violently as a way to say hello our classic greeting yeah we classic. do the mother cat greeting where you tooth on the back of the neck and shake just classic punk rock in behind a building just grab each other's heads and spin around so both of us did some well in fact all three of us for sure uh i i should say all three of us had some punk rock times as kids i feel like it touched me the least like yeah I i'm the agree. one who watched it off the most thoroughly uh-huh yeah, but, I imagine you going to punk rock shows like you were going to a Gallagher show and like yeah. just Teflon <laughs> plastic to make sure nothing got on you. That's not true, but I do understand how you would get that impression from me. Metaphorically yeah. rather than literally. You know? <laughs> yes, that, that may sure. be true. I spent a lot of time in basements. I, I do believe it's the reason why my wife hears better than me. Um, I yeah, tinnitus, baby. <laughs> yeah, uh, I went to a lot of... Uh, of punk and metal shows what was like the best show you ever saw man i went to a blood brothers show where they got mad after three songs and left and it wasn't like a great show (laughs) but it was a really strong memory oh i love that that's one of of my favorite concert memories is also blood brothers it was one of the very first shows i ever went to and it was the Blood Brothers, The Locusts, and Erebon Raider. And they did this really cool thing where uh, it was like the Blood Brothers opened, Erebon Raider was the second, and The Locusts was closed. This was right before um, Mo Channel, uh, 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 Bone, Piano Island Bone came out. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it, they were, the way they set it up was the Blood Brothers opened, and while that was happening, Erebon Raider set up, set up in the back of the room. And then while they were playing, oh. the Locust set up. So it was just like this. the second one band ended, the next one started to play. Uh, and it That's was just... Rad. Why don't more people do that? That's a... 
I mean, that time in between bands is a bummer. Yeah, because, you know, you the some people like the stage. Erebon Rado didn't really have the ego. You can tell from their music. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. But it was just nonstop a wall of sound. And uh, all three of those bands are so good live. I well so the Blood Brothers so that I saw them in Reno and they threw a fit mostly over tech problems but also I think the turnout was not as good as they wanted and so they left really early but then I also so then I went and saw them up in Seattle in like their home club hometown big show they were like this is this is going to be this is going to be their show and they also were like really not feeling it and did a bad job and so I feel like I might have only seen them too late Mm. Uh, if they do indeed put on, if they did indeed at some point put on great shows, um, oh, it, it was it was awesome. It was a great great yeah, show. Not when I was around. They I also ran into Johnny Whitney at a Whole Foods one time because after after that band, he became much less punk. Mm-hmm. He became much more married in the t shirt business and went to my Whole Foods. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, Hunter, what's your best show you ever saw? Um. Well, one time. Like what you get, what you guys just described kind of reminded me of this. Um, I went to go see, well, I was at a music festival called the Pitchfork Music Festival in Chicago. And uh, I don't remember what act I was planning on seeing, but I was just like waiting at a stage for them to start. And this band that I didn't know at the time called Lightning Bolt was going to oh, yeah. play. And uh, I didn't know who they were or anything. And I'm up front because that's how I like to do it. Sometimes if there's an act I really care about, I'll camp out and watch other things. And I realize it's kind of shitty now because I'm literally taking up real estate that could be taken up by real big fans. But I got punished real hardcore for it um, because like the Blood Brothers, Lightning Bolt doesn't set up on the stage. And one of them wears like a like a gag mask thing. And they start setting up and I start getting the feeling like, oh, I think this is like going to be some sort of very loud noise rock band. <laughs> and um, I'm talking to this guy up front and uh, he's like, so when did you start listening to Lightning Bolt or some question like that? And I was like, well, I actually don't know who they are. And he gives me this look like he, he goes from smiling to frowning. And he just did this scared the shit out of me so much. He just looks down and he's like we got to find you some earbuds, man. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, just like looking around. Like, does anybody have any earbuds or anything? Anybody got anything? Earplugs. Earplugs. Yeah. Not earbuds. Yeah, yeah. That'd be weird. If he was like, yeah, you need to listen like, to something listen else. To some other music. <laughs> um, but, and he did not uh, find any for me. Um, oh, and he yeah. was like, dude, no shame. Just stick your fucking fingers in your ears, dude. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and I think I did save myself from getting tinnitus. Um, that is not a good experience, but I w- I did one time. <laughs> memorable. It, real quick, good experience uh, or something that made me feel proud. Uh, I ran a lot of uh, house venues in uh, in Fayetteville, oh, Arkansas. That's so cool. I was really into it. Uh, I had one house that was a real clunker of a house that i lived in with my friend claire that we called the uh the crystal claire lounge which i think Mm -hmm. was a very good name for a house venue one time we were having a show and uh there were way too many people it was like 300 people at my house which is not cool and we were kind of freaking out and i remember i was in the living room and and there's this uh there's this lady talking to her friends and one of them just goes uh imagine living here and the (laughs) others were like oh Oh, and, and that that was that's my good one. That's my that good hurt memory. a little bit. I, I think of that all the time. It made me feel so, oh, happy. so funny. <laughs> um, let me just finish the introductions, I guess, since we've gotten such a great story. So uh, formerly in the music promoting business. Uh, now he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd in the Bopo neighborhood. 
between two Popeyes in Portland. It's Mr. Hunter Donaldson. Yo, it me. Hey, what up? That makes this all makes so much sense. Although I just I feel like the poser because I didn't stick around as long, I guess. I just mm. don't seem like it. And so I feel bad, even though it was like a thing that I did enjoy and was like around, but like just not enough, I guess. I don't know. I just feel the worst, which is not you, punk. Why either. do you feel, feel bad like you about it? Just, yeah, you should not. I feel like it's not punk to feel bad about it, but I do. Yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> if anything, I've always felt like there's certain certain scenes that should be left to the youth. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yeah, I yeah, never yeah. want to be the the old guy at a punk show. Um, I think that there's certain things that are just the the domain of youth and like a fun and kept alive by young people. Uh, yeah. So I don't feel bad for stepping away from that personally. I do. And I, I'm like the, I'm just so old now that I like, I would like a seat at a concert, which is the, I knew like, the grossest, <laughs> but boy, is it nice not to be on, you know, my old dogs, you know, they're barking after an hour. Yeah. I'd like to, I'm going to teach you a little trick, though, and and staying cool and being old and also trying to sit down is what I've found the older I've gotten. Yeah, I don't I don't want to go to like the rowdy the rowdy shows really at this point, but I will go to some pretty freaky, cool stuff. And generally, the freakier the act you're seeing, the more acceptable it is for you to basically do nothing or sit. And, you know, you can go see like Sun Ra or something. Yeah. yeah, And you can really just kind of like. You know, just pretend you're on drugs and like you yeah. need to sit like that. It's it's pretty easy to do. And and now you're I mean, you're still you're wicked cool. And it's very acceptable to be an old person at those types on of shows. Drugs. Yeah, I do and, like and on drugs. I mean, yeah, sure. I like a lot. You know, I've gone to a lot of pop shows at, in arenas recently and you can sit at those. Um, and also but the other thing that's been spo- spoiled music for me recently is that because my sister works in the music industry, as you may recall from a previous yes. episode where she was guest Jimmy talking World. about that. She's been working with Jimmy World, among other things, recently. That's um, yeah. I'm um, I met Jimmy in an elevator. He's a very nice guy. Um, but uh, so I've been sitting at front of house, like I've been sitting in the in the light booth at a show at shows with her. And then now when I have to go like wait in line and like sit, like there's not free beverages. I can't mm-hmm. see well. Like it's really yeah. difficult. I've gotten used to this VIP booth, and so it's harder to. I got to do a music festival that way one time. It's kind of weird meeting like the musicians as they're like loading in and they uh, don't want to meet you and they're busy and like you're <laughs> scum to them. They just assume <laughs> you have money and it's like, no, dude, I'm just like a kid from Arkansas and I, yeah, what am like, I doing? Somebody just gave me these. <laughs> like, I mean, she mostly works for bands that don't help with load in anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, for sure. Like Jimmy was nice. We were in the hotel going to the same taco bar, so he was not working. But right, he also did not. He, he was I, actually I did not recognize him because I was not, not a big Jimmy World fan first uh, at the at the time. Not that I'm a huge, but I like I like whenever she tours with somebody, I try to get into it so I can have fun at the shows. I but was anyway. in a shot of a Flying Lotus documentary featurette of just me being like, "Oh shit, Flying Lotus," uh, and then it got <laughs> taken off YouTube, and it made me sad. But it was because no, I was in the VIP section. Anymore. Yeah, I got nothing on that. But when I met when I met Jimmy in the elevator, what I he, she said, this is Jimmy. He's on the tour. And I was like, cool. What do you do for the for the the band? And he was like, I'm Jimmy. <laughs> it was He's great. used that um, before. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's get into the show. Let's talk about some movies. You guys first up, um, we're going to talk about what everybody watched this week um, before 
I'm going to go first today because I've been teasing this for two weeks. So finally, this afternoon at lunchtime, my wife and I finished our 11-hour school lunch project of watching the Ken Burns Civil War documentary. And I am displeased. With how it turned out? You guys? (laughs) I I mean, there's probably something about... Who just didn't make it. (laughs) Man, I feel like... I mean, for sure, this is a 30-year-old film. I get mm-hmm. that the night that 1990 was a little bit different, but if that documentary came out today, it would be eviscerated on arrival. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it is okay, tell me why. So problematic. It is largely pro-Confederacy propaganda. Like a significant portion of it is. Whoa. Like I would say at least 10% is dedicated to I mentioned this the first time, this guy Shelby Foote, who is um uh not a historian. He is um just a dude who's written he wrote some other uh, pro-Confederacy propaganda, and that's how he got hired on the film. Great Southern draw, really charming to listen to, but he is the War of Northern Aggression lost cause guy. This is his thing. That's what he Mm -hmm. did. And he also, not a historian, writes novels, uh, and he is the main guy. He talks for a full hour of the 11-hour documentary is him. And it is so rough. It's so problematic. He does. I mentioned before, he just kind of like smiles whenever a Yankee gets killed. He has like this glint in his eye, but he's like actively working on like disseminating false information about it in a way that's mm-hmm. really upsetting. And there is one of the other people who talks is this brilliant woman, uh, Barbara Fields, who's a actual historian, you know, a Harvard, Yale doctorate. She's a professor at Columbia, MacArthur Genius Grant Award winner, riveting storyteller. And she gets eight lines they, that's bullshit. like they, they let this confederate guy talk for an hour they let this brilliant actually knows things about the civil war woman of color talk for less than 10 minutes and it's so infuriating and there's a bunch of there's a there's a few things that just like i mean his main point is that it the war is not about slavery which to give an hour of this movie to a guy who does not think it's about slavery is very problematic but also the movie seems to think it's not super about slavery it doesn't really care much about slavery they barely acknowledge the existence of slavery um but uh there's this and there's this one line that like haunted me really in like the second to last episode where it's things are looking bad for the south people are running um from the encroaching union army and there's a plantation owner who has to uh, leave behind his slaves to get onto a train and run away faster. And the narrator says he relinquished $50,000 worth of property. And that's the whole line about it. That's the only thing they mention about it. There's no, it never occurs to them that they're people like, it's so strange. You guys, yeah. it's so weird. It's such it like, it's such a bad view of this thing. And I'm yeah. just very upset about it. What, like, how did this, how is this possible? I am reading stuff echoing this right now. So it does sound like, it does sound like other people have, have caught this and been like, what the fuck is the deal I with mean, this movie? But not, but like, I didn't, yeah, I mean, like, yes, some people have talked about it. So sure, sure, a book sure. About it, I mean, I had to look for the, it specifically. So yes, let me there's not that. like, a, yeah. that's not the leading message about this documentary. Everyone is yeah. like, this is an incredible documentary. And it is also doing some good stuff. There's some filmmaking techniques that are really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it, but like, you know, Ken is not a historian either. He's a storyteller. And so he fell in love with this storyteller who has a charming accent, but it's just, Man, uh, it's so troubling. The one, like, I think interesting thing that I really took away from it, besides, like, knowing the names of a lot of battles, which is their, like, main thing, it really cares about battles and less about, like, issues. But well, it um, was a war. 
<laughs> well, well, no, I mean, I'm not. I'm, yeah, that, <laughs> but there are. There's like he like is he spends a lot of time listing troop placements instead of talking about causes and effects, and I think sure. that is a detriment yeah. of the film. Is that like what he's interested in is like where were these dudes and not like man sure a lot of people dying that's kind of a bummer right um uh but one thing that is interesting that i do t- i did take away from like probably my main takeaway besides the fact that this movie is a little problematic is that um the way it was taught to me in my school was that this was a war between like racists and not racists and that's pretty incorrect um right. because the Completely. north was so racist yeah, <laughs> like the North is way more racist than they told me in school. It wasn't that the South <laughs> is less racist, like uh, Shelby Foote would like you to believe, but the North was so racist. <laughs> like it's crazy. I mean, there is that's kind of like I don't know about you guys, but I mean Hunter, you've talked about your sort of school education, but you know, like the way American history teaches race in general, I felt like you know slavery was bad. The Civil War happened, and then Martin Luther King solved yeah. all racism, yeah. and it's yeah. not a thing <laughs> that, that happened right after that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. that's that's like the way I felt like it was taught to me. You know, like yeah, oh, totally. they marched across the Selma Bridge, and uh, once they crossed that threshold, all races it was yep. like a, a curse being lifted off the. It, it was gone. <laughs> that yeah. is the, that is such a good description of the way race in the '90s was taught. Is like it was a it was a curse that has been lifted. Yeah, and, it's nothing you'll have to worry about or yeah, think about at all. Yeah, don't you trouble your little mind with it. It never came up that Abraham Lincoln was against abolition for a long mm-hmm. time. Oh yeah, like, I mean, he, was, he uh, ran under under the platform. Don't worry about me. I'm not going to free the slaves. Like, it that was, was a political tactic. Yeah, it was a war tactic to get people like on the north to get excited again, and uh, make sure that the if the French joined, they'd be thought of as bad guys. Yeah, totally. Like it's it was such a it was a tactic, and so like that was really interesting. And I think there's I definitely learned enough that it was a worthwhile endeavor. I'm glad we watched it, but man, it's just like I just repeatedly was like what why is that the quote you're gonna do you know like one of the last voices in the film is like the important thing to remember is that both sides believed in liberty they just disagreed on the method which is like just a weird way to describe yeah that, that is odd because <laughs> that is just a terrible phrasing for that um anyway i mean and and I, I i do you know especially like right now when we're talking about uh it's like confederate statues and 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 names on things uh it's it's weird to have been like this is the movie that introduced us to this and it's still so far from the mark yeah i guess i i was shocked i did not realize we had army bases named after confederate generals that's a weird decision but when this is the version of the war that we're getting taught it's like more understandable this is what the narrative like this was a conscious effort to rewrite a narrative and this movie ended up being part of that and it's weird um yeah it is yeah, it's that, it's it's that weird strange. almost like reverence that people have yeah. for honestly the confederacy like even if they like disagree with it there's this weird like especially i mean i grew up with a lot of that stuff yeah. of like a mythology to it even though it's like you're talking about even just in the most basic sense you're talking about a bunch of losers like they're yeah, that were around for like five years yeah like, yeah. like and the whose thing brothers were together was, for longer than yeah. the was. <laughs> like it's just a very good point. 
Also broke up, uh, but yeah, definitely ran longer than that. But yeah, um, but yeah I mean, made it longer, made it further. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but there's you know like this rom- romanticizing. The, there's like um, especially kind of when you first sort of talked about this, I you know um, a few weeks ago, I sort of mentioned like you know get get ready to find out how the North won, which was just you know like driving young men into a wood chipper essentially mm-hmm. just throwing yeah. bodies at the south until we just outnumbered them and there's like this kind well, of that, like elegance yeah. in the story of like southern generals and them being like you know good military technicians um it's just interesting I and mean, like especially what i've always found i don't know if they cover it but people like was it john brown the guy who went and sort of tried to sort of slave revolution mm-hmm. is like oh, yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. really spoken about too much but they are like legit badass heroes who are yep. kind of just yep. viewed as villains across like this huge parts of the country that if you say john brown's name people think of him as like this monstrous terrorist you know yeah that's um, interesting and the, it's the just, wood chipper thing though that you said is, i want to go back to that for a second is like um because yes that is definitely how that worked but it was also the south's tactic was also to throw bodies into a wood chipper and like one of the reasons why they were winning for so long is because McClellan was like, he seemed to like not like killing people. So he was like a bad leader for an army. <laughs> he like, he's like the one who like turned them into a professional army from a bunch of militias. He's like the, he was like the best at training. And then they were like, go to war. And he was like, ah, I don't know. Yeah. For like three years. And the problem was, it seems like one of my takeaways was like, he was like, let's just chill. I don't want to go into fight yet. It's so scary. And then uh, Lee was like, kill them all. Throw them into the wood chipper. We don't care. Right. We don't care about right. death. And so that was very effective to be pro wood chipper when the other guy was afraid of it. And then the North was like, all right, we'll do wood chipper too. And then it was just awful. But it was just, yeah, just just such an uh, atrocious uh, thing. And I, especially right now, just watching that being like, I, I would not recommend that to anybody right now as a movie to go watch if you want to learn more about this. There's got to be a better way. Um, certainly, I would rather... Um, rather go read something that Barbara Fields wrote than hear more from Shelby foot. So anyway, that's what I watched. <sighs> I wasn't quite ready to talk about it last week, even though I've been mad for several, several weeks, but um, there it is. Also, I um, watched no country for old men and I didn't really like it, but I don't have time. So Anthony, what? <laughs> I know, I know. How I'm so sorry. Drop that on us. Like I that. know, I know. And I'm nor- under normal circumstances. You'd spend 10 minutes yelling at me for that. But we don't have time. Cause I want to talk about the civil war. So maybe we'll come back All to, right. My disappointment in No Country for Old Men. Anthony, what did you watch this week? I just, I'm trying to figure out what even to say to that. Um, <laughs> but I if watched... you can't imagine why someone wouldn't love that movie, though, I think that's no, more about you than me. No, no, it's like, a, yeah. It's a, yeah, I get it. It's, 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 you know, Alex always needs the story and he's have a beginning, middle, and end. The hero is the hero and the hero wins in the end. And that's how, that's yeah, how it is. There's I no, do like, like that about a movie. I also would just just like following somebody and then having them killed off at the beginning of the third act and never discussed again. It's just emotionally pretty wrecking. Yeah, right. It's it also might be the be point that. of the whole. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's not his movie anyway. Let's move on. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to get into this. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I I watched a few things this week, trying to pick what I want to talk about. The um, second one. So, so I think what was that? I watched three things this week. I watched Waco, the Dewey Cox story, uh, which I think is has ruined music biopics for me right. just oh. so much because it is just it's good it, or because it's bad. 
Well, it's so funny, and it, well, the thing is, it just like lays bare the conventions of movie uh, biopics. Totally, you totally. just can't take them seriously anymore. Sort of like um, the way scary movie ruined horror movies for me. <laughs> yeah. Sure, uh, yeah, scary movie sure. three. Which one is the one that really did it? <laughs> they I, all they all kind of played a part. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's you know, it's one giant movie, really. The yeah, scary really, movie yeah, trilogy. Uh, <laughs> but the. I watched Air Force One, which left a real bad taste in my mouth, especially oh, with yeah. everything going on in America. It is oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I were putting together a list. Why in the 90s did we need a president to be a superhero so much? You think oh, about yeah. like Air yeah. Force One, uh, Independence Day, right. and yeah. a few other movies in which we were like, the president, he, he's a little stiff, but you know what? He's also a combat veteran. And it's just right. like, what? Um, but the main one I want to talk about was kind yeah. of a real fun, cheesy movie I watched. Have not seen since it came out, but I, my wife and I watched John DeBlanc's Twister. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which is his follow-up to Speed. Uh, I don't know if uh, either of you have seen these recently. It's not I nearly saw... as good as I remembered it being, but I was like right. 11 last time I saw it. Oh, the last time uh, I saw Twister was when we were doing Hecklevision. So it was like with a room full of people trying to have fun making fun of it and succeeding. So I had a yeah. great time. I mean, but... it's definitely okay. There's a lot of weird stuff that, that just say like, it kind of feels like missed opportunities in terms of like sort of structure stuff. Like it's a fairly uh, low stakes sort the of plot. The cow goes flying or, by the house. Yeah, twice. Um, so good and and, the main and Philip Seymour Hoffman well that's what I was just going to say my main takeaway from Twister uh, this happens a lot is one I miss Philip Seymour Hoffman Yeah. and my wife and I again were sort of talking about his career arc and we were trying to think of another actor who had quite the career arc that Philip Seymour Hoffman had so for a long time he was like the weird guy in the gang Right, yeah, you have yeah, like yeah. Twister, Boogie Nights, even like a Long King yeah. Holly, and he always was incredible in those roles. Right, just really gave it his all, and then transitioned into like this incredible leading man. He's actually kind of like the opposite of John C. Riley. Uh, speaking of oh, yeah. Oak, like John C. Yeah. Riley also has a very weird career arc of like. He started out in, you know, first things I saw him, it was like Chicago, and he's a serious actor, and he's Oscar nominated, then he's in Memento, and then he does, ends up doing like Adult Swim shows because he just likes doing them. Yeah. It's just such a weird career arc. Um, I mean, they're sort of both like character actors that then carried films. Yeah, and I mean, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman, there's just such a magic to him, even just, like, in Twister, the way he gets really excited about steak and just says beef a lot. And it's just, like, so endearing, and it just, I miss him so much. He was, he never not killed it in a role. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for a little bit of fun, uh, PSH, check out Twister, I guess. Yeah, very young PSH at the time. Yeah. Oh boy! Um, all right, Hunter. Yeah, what are you watching this week? So um, I'm gonna spend my time uh, to not describe a movie. I'm I'm gonna yield my time to do something different. Uh, I just want to go ahead and announce that all I've been doing this morning is uh, my my best friend and co-host of Space Cats Peace Turtles has had a baby on the way, 
and mm-hmm. the baby arrived this morning. Aww. Her name. This is a weird left turn for the show, just for a second. But I just yeah. wanted to to throw it out there uh, that uh, my first, and this is also my first friend to have a baby, so yeah. I'm freaking out. Uh, we I've spent most of the day with my friends designing a um like line of secession for who will take care of the baby. Yeah, and it's gotten pretty <laughs> complex. Uh, it's modeled after the United States line of succession. Um, so we've all given there's there's uh, Matt, who is the actual dad. He's president dad. Um, we have a vice daddy. Um, right. I am a speaker of the crib. You're speaker uh, of the crib. So you, yeah. so it would be have to be pretty bad, but you are it's still like in the realm of possibilities that you would own this oh, I'm kid. I'm third. I'm third in the line. Yeah. Are no, you no, guys no. going to have like a designated daddy so in case of you all ever hanging right. out, one of them yeah. can't hang out with you? Right, I, that's important. It is wild that the second that she came into existence, pretty much all of my friends have decided we're all somewhat like Molly has like eight or nine dads right now, um, or at least at least people that consider themselves her dad. Yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, it's been a fun day. Very sweet. It's like a fun, sweet version of a movie episode. Yeah, <laughs> all these dads, but who's the real one? You know. <laughs> Well, it's oh, Matt. Man. He did the work, and he will yeah. probably continue to do the work. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to take credit for some things. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's very sweet. Um, I am. I'm so happy for him and for him. Um, welcome Molly to the earth. Sorry, it's a shit show, Molly. Yeah, sorry, Molly. It's if anything. I mean, I've only I've only been here for a little bit longer than her, really, in the grand scheme of things. So True. you know. But long enough to have like not fixed it yet. Yeah, that's true. Um, I didn't fix it. <laughs> yeah, our our you know good friend and co-host who has been absent for a while because of his busyness, uh, Ezra, is working on a, a children's book in his spare time right now. Um, that is a letter to his kids called "I Give You the World." I'm sorry, it's on fire, <laughs> and it's very funny. And yeah, so it is. It's a. Um, it's just not a great gift to give a person on their birthday. Um, mm-hmm. This Earth, but. Still, yeah. welcome, Molly. Um, maybe you'll be the one to fix it. All right. Um, let's talk about our topic this week. This week, uh, this week's film for Slightly Condescending Film School is the 1984 film Repo Man. Yeah. Um, and Anthony, this was, I believe, your pick, although mm-hmm. Hunter is very enthusiastic about it as well. So, Anthony, why did you pick a Repo Man for us? Um, I picked Repo Man for a few reasons. You know, I feel like sort of going through the sort of film canon, as it was, we've been doing on this series. We've done a lot of sort of prestige movies, a lot of, you know, different genres. And Repo Man, I feel, fits a very specific niche we haven't covered. Uh, Repo Man is a movie I've loved for, you know, probably saw the first time six, seven years ago. I came fairly late to it. Um, And I've always really enjoyed it. I've known, the main reason I heard of Repo Man is over the years I have known a lot of different like filmmakers or you know music video directors or people who just sort of work in uh you know film and uh, there's a very specific style of them that if you ask them Repo Man is always in the top five and I think that a big part of that reason why is that this is one of those movies that you know you can look at the big prestige movies and think about how they came together with a lot of thought and planning and exercise and mm-hmm. Repo Man is a great example of like fuck it man let's just get some friends right trick, yeah. trick someone into giving us a little bit of cash yeah. and let's just go make a movie 
This is right. a movie that's about like you know, due to limitations and also just wild creativity, it drastically throws out the rules of conventional movie making. It uh, is all about a set uh, time and place. So I think this would be really interesting for you, Alex, specifically, because if you look at like films that are like the best L.A. movies, that's another yeah. list that Repo Man is always on. Uh, yeah. Just in terms of the way it feels and captures the city, you don't get so many, a lot of movies that film it like this. I don't think you can. I mean, as far as capturing the city, I don't think you can drive in the river as much anymore. But <laughs> yeah. it, does, well, I it mean, does have a good. And also, I think that there's this there's a bridge that they go over that's very iconic that I believe is also currently uh, gone and being replaced. So but it captures the city that I don't get to see. But but it's one yeah. of those like in the way it feels. It's like if you look at a movie like Heat which captures L.A. in a way that L.A. does not exist. You know, L.A. is a flat, ugly city for the most part. You know, yeah. a lot of stretched out corridors. And then, like, the way Michael Mann shoots it in heat is so, like, so beautiful and, like, yeah. engaging. And you don't get that with this movie. Um, There's some really, I, I don't know, L.A. has a lot. It has beauty that I was not expecting, and it has ugliness that I wasn't expecting. Also, it's a very interesting place. I mean, I'm new here; I don't know that much, and I've been locked in my apartment the entire time I've been yeah. here. But but from it my is, window, it's got both. It is just definitely such a unique time and place uh, that yeah. this movie yeah. captures. I think it, this movie is very funny. It's very creative, and it is also like it has all those things I said that real scrappy nature. This like devil may care sort of attitude towards like the rules of storytelling and filmmaking but it also is like has had a criterion run for you know years now it's widely considered like a masterpiece and it's like a very good example of like you couldn't set out to make repo man yeah but like if you set out to make something that has like this kind of passion and love and just like this kind of creativity even though none of it should work, it can, and it can just like really connect with a lot of people. Um, and I think that's, that's just like just a, a cool lesson just, to this take. Is such a great description movies. of it, because this your description just now is like how like I don't think I would have said that, but if you but everything you're saying is like oh that is exactly what I was feeling while that makes sense while I was watching this. Like one thing I would have said is this feels like a movie that people like friends got together like let's make a movie like that. Yeah. It has yeah. that energy about it. It like, it reminds me of Clerks, and that's what I for maybe that same reason. That it feels like people who love movies and can write movies, but also like the shooting limitations seem like almost. It's not like this was not the written movie. There's so much of this that feels like this is what we had to do on Thursday. Yeah, yeah. I mean and, it's it's Clerks with way more ambition. Totally. And if you yeah, got yes. one of the guys from the Monkeys to finance it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is... Well, I have so many questions about it, and that is now going to move to the top of it. Michael um, so Nesmith gonna... is the main producer on this movie. He okay, financed well, gonna... a lot of weird movies around this time. It was just, okay. He had a lot of money. Why not? So we're going to come back to that in just a second. But first, here's my three-sentence summary of 1984's Repo Man. For those of you who have not seen it, um, the coach of the Mighty Ducks is a young punk rocker who uh, gets a job repossessing cars. And as a hobby, Kat calls and sexually harasses women at her office, where she is currently working to find aliens. Aliens are, incidentally, real and living in the trunk of a Chevy Malibu, but you should not look at them. 
Mr. Duck uh, finds the car with the alien in it and his crazy friend takes him for a, a ride across the sky. So that's Repo Man. Um, I think that's all the salient features of Repo Man. That's an interesting summary because actually that last sentence did, did a lot of heavy lifting and that is so little of the movie though. You know what yeah. I mean? Where this yeah. movie ends up is such a such a strange place compared yes. to like what the movie overall is about. It is, yeah. yeah. And I, it's tough if, when you're trying to summarize um, a, I will say, a beautiful ninety minutes um, of a movie in uh, only three sentences. Well, you gotta make I was some sacrifices. Say, if you were gonna just sum it up in three sentences, you should have just said the repo code, and then did a line <laughs> of blow on your off, off your desk. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, he didn't even address, you know, the the punk rockers who have crimes to do, right? You know? yeah, the eating sushi friend. without paying for it. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> bummed that they all died. Because uh, what a delightful group of miscreants. Um, his former friends who do crimes. Um, yeah, and yeah. Okay. Anyway, there's a lot to address, but first, um, I want to talk more about how this movie exists um, because. Like like we were saying before, we're com- sort of in, as part of my education, we're comparing this to different like levels of prestige and what you do with money and all of the right people who know what they're doing. And, you know, like it seems like maybe more separate jobs is one thing that you have when you have a lot of money is you pay people to do their own thing they're good at. And this feels more like maybe there's like a bit more everyone chips in kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, with this different setup um i want to talk about how that in, uh, affects filmmaking but first you just said this really intriguing thing anthony um which is that one of the guys from the monkeys financed it so will you give me a primer on movie financing well i mean there's a lot of different ways that that can go down right there's you know the cl- any anywhere from like you know a major studio finances a movie because they have a lot of money uh, a lot of independent directors like you mentioned cloaks you know cloaks mm-hmm. was financed famously by kevin smith opened a bunch of credit codes and maxed them all out that's Uh, not a good way to do it no if it if cloaks had not gotten sold he would have been in bankruptcy for probably the rest of his life but yeah i mean i i like i like clerks when i saw it as a kid i don't know if i would love it now but if i had been friends with kevin smith i would have advised him to not do that but i mean you know you have all that's you know kind of like the romanticism of like especially 90s indie you know stuff like uh, El Mariachi, Robert Rodriguez's first movie was financed mm. by. Uh, it cost seven thousand dollars to make. Oh, uh, yeah. Cooks cost twenty six thousand to make. Wow, uh, that's a lot El, of money on credit cards in the nineties. Yeah. El, El Mariachi was financed mm. by Robert Rodriguez signing uh, his body up for medical experiments. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he let them inject him filled with weird chemicals, and they gave him seven grand for it. Wow, seven uh, grand is very little money. Yes, uh, but this movie is, you know, kind of like has a fairly interesting story behind it. This is Alex Cox's first film, who is a uh, British, you know, uh, he was going to like nice school in Britain, decided to transfer to uh, school in California, film school. UCLA. UCLA, got really into nice. punk rock, the punk rock scene, um, kind of putzed around and had a few friends he met who started a production company. And um, he just gave them a bunch of scripts and they were like, this one seems cheapest. And Michael Nesmith, who was in The Monkees, I believe Michael Nesmith uh, is also from the family fortune because his 
I think it's Michael Nesmith. His mom invented whiteout. One of the monkeys. <laughs> one of <Wow>. the monkeys. <laughs> what? I, I know it's not Davy Jones, but I think it's Michael Nesmith. It may be one of the other ones, but one of the okay. monkeys' moms invented whiteout. Um, but he was wow. financing a lot of movies at the it time as a film producer. Yeah, as a film producer. And this movie kind of famously went into, I forget what the term is, but... Oh, oh no, Anthony, you've messed up. You've said something terribly inaccurate. Uh, Betty Nesmith Graham is the inventor of liquid paper, not to be confused with the competitor Whiteout, the brand. Well, there you go. Yeah. I dare you. Liquid paper. I actually do think liquid paper is a great name, too. But anyway. Yeah. um, uh, Her original name was Mistake Out, which is not as good. Although, actually, (laughs) I heard Stake Out. I I didn't hear it before. Now I hear it. I like it. Um, Anyway, sorry to distract you. Please. uh, This is kind of put into, like, a very weird place where he took it to Universal, and they liked it, but not enough to finance it. So they set up this deal. I forget what this type of production is called. But basically, when they're like, okay, you go, you pay for the movie. And if when you when you pay for it, we'll pay you back for it. So that was the production that this went under. Um, but, you know, like film a finance, loan. Yeah. But no, they didn't. It was a, a, a loan that you had to generate the cash first. And then the studio would pay you back after you made the movie. I think it's called a it, it from Wikipedia. It looks like it's called a negative pickup deal. Yes. Negative. That's it. Um, but you know, there's all different types of film financing stuff. So, you know, like the Coen brothers financed their first movie by going to a bunch of local dentists and trying to get them each to give them 10 grand to be an investor. Uh, you hear about a lot of people who go to film festivals, uh, just to pitch movies to investors who were there. So that's how like a lot of independent movies get made. So, uh, so let me just try to let me, let me try to like re, re, um, return this back to you. Um, so uh, you need a pile of money. Sometimes you can just have it um, or borrow it from loans. Right. Sometimes you can go to investors like you like Shark Tank uh, in real life and just say I like, mean, "This is a great idea. Pay for it." And you just convince them like, "This movie is going to be so good, you're going to make your money back." Oh yeah, they give you money to make the movie, and then they get paid if it is a huge success. Well, the the classic, also, I feel like the Hollywood cliche is like, yeah, I'll give you money to make this movie, but you have to put my uh, my girlfriend in it. Right, right, or, right. Or like you know, or my, my product, or yeah, 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 or yeah. I I know someone who like was writing uh, Instagram content for like a 16 year old in Miami who's like uncle owned a nightclub and was like, I will pay millions of dollars for you to become a professional Instagram influencer and we'll hire people to write the content. The only thing is it has to all take place in my nightclub anyway. <laughs> so it's like that kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so the world of film finance is definitely wild and that's so, not even so getting into like your wild. And then there's also a level where it's a studio that is just like, we have money. We will buy your script and make the movie and get the profit. Yeah. And even then there's, you know, with like, you know, when you see a bunch of production codes in front of a movie, a lot of times those are like different production companies who all pit up X amount to make up the total budget, you know? So I've I've asked you before about this and the, uh, like what producers do. And I remember the answer being like, it could be anywhere from everything to nothing. And uh, but in in this case, you meet by by producer, you just mean investor because they're not necessarily. Yeah, yeah Michael, they're not the same like, thing. like Michael Nesmith did not go to meetings about what clothes to wear. Right. He just like gave them money from the whiteout fortune. 
from sorry, yeah. the liquid paper fortune. Yeah, and was just like, go make this movie. And, you know, you can tell that this movie was very, very scrappy, but it had like... Yeah, so he, he didn't give them a lot of liquid yeah. paper money. But it just had such a unique idea of what he wanted from it, you know? And, like, this is also one of those movies that, like, the money was spent in very clever ways. Like, you know, from anywhere from, like, the, you know, the, the sets and the locations all have this kind of cheap feel to them. Yeah. But, like, you know, my favorite thing about this movie, probably the most infamous thing about this film, is uh, the Blue Label product company. Yes. Um. So, like, that is the type of thing that, like, doesn't cost a lot of money, but it adds so much texture to Yeah, yeah. So film. if you haven't seen this, um, I, very early on, uh, you realize he's working at a grocery store and he's stacking cans, and all the cans are, um, they have a white label with a blue stripe, and then it just says, like, food or or carrots or whatever. And then you see throughout the movie, every time any can or bottle is displayed it is the same exact generic label on everything yeah and it gives it like a bit of a sci-fi feel at the cost of some printer paper yeah the food one is the when he pulls it out of his fridge it's just yeah yeah yeah. he eats a can of food at his crazy parents house right uh, that's absolutely (laughs) hilarious that's probably my favorite jokes in this whole movie I like, yeah, the labels I like right away. I was like, this is great. I like it a lot. What a fun feel. Although, you know, now I feel like if I, if I saw that in a movie today, I would be like, oh, none of their product placement sponsors came through. Uh, but in 1984, I assumed this was like mm. an artistic choice. Right. A statement. But also, but also that like, totally, it's it can be both at the same time. I, feel like, uh, I, I guess I was assuming that they were not doing as much of that kind of product placement in 84, where it would be like, if no one pays me to show their canned food, I will, if the green giant refuses to invest in my movie, I'm doing <laughs> blank labels. Right. Well, what's weird is uh, that's actually, there is, there are some labels prominently featured in the liquor store. I don't know yeah. if you guys noticed that there's, and, and it it's funny because they, they cut, it's, it's in more than one shot even there's just this there's just a wall of uh various liquor stuff and there's even one shot that's of a close-up of london dry gin so they did get permission to have labels in there it's just they were all liquor <laughs> and some of them and some of the bottles of liquor were white labeled though yes. blue labeled oh well, yeah so. that's true yeah, yeah 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 interesting okay am i am so and then obviously the i mean and it's an investment so obviously this all this producer method and this gets crazier later on where they like, I'm sure at bigger sizes, like right now I'm, I, you know, I, I, I know like I was reading a book about international uh, financial crimes that resulted in, um, Wolf of wall street getting made, uh, with money mm-hmm. stolen from the Malaysian people. Um, so like, it seems like a big enough financial world where you're spending a hundred million dollars. It's probably a lot of financial crimes and things. Yes. Yes. Um, but at a small level, you can just say, like, monkey gives me money. Right. We make a movie. Uh, Universal Pictures buy, agrees to buy it for very little. And then if it makes a bunch of money, good for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, we can get into, like, Hollywood accounting and stuff like that. Yeah, when, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. When okay. no, one, no movie has ever made a profit, which is a whole other... Right. A pin in that for later. Okay. So you were saying, and then you were saying like they didn't get a ton of money and they spent it kind of cleverly. Although they did get $1.5 million, which is a substantial amount of whiteout money, liquid paper money. Yeah. 
I don't um, know about but, for a movie, though, like a movie with I mean, it's not like Harry Dean Stanton well, was nobody. You know what I mean? Like he must have cost some money. Well, that's true. Yeah. So I would. And, and I guess I don't know how much Emilio Estevez cost as a child. But um, so I don't know. Actors Had he got done, paid real is, money. At, at what point in his career is this? I feel like this is pretty early or is this? this no, is, this is this is a year before Breakfast Club. Yeah. OK. All right. So he's so, nobody at this point. Yeah. 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 Just the famous okay. guy's son. Uh, Who's his dad? Martin Sheen. Oh, shit. I see it now in this picture. He looks like a skinny Sheen. Yeah, he took his mom's last name because, um, like Charlie, he didn't want to get by on his name. Right. He's a real man. Well, well, he doesn't have that tiger blood like Charlie does. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Um, Oh, man. Uh, But he did. Okay, so he didn't want to get by on his name by calling himself that. But presumably in Hollywood, people were like, oh, this is. Martin Sheen's yeah, son. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the rest of us. Yeah. Right, isn't that what um 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 with the Coppolas are like secretly half of the actors are Coppolas. Sure, yeah. That their is name. true. That is true. Um, but also a thing I learned last week. Use the name Coppola. But and that some of them do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my Curtis was explaining, my buddy Curtis uh from the show Curtis was explaining to me all the Coppolas and he was like Sophia Coppola. And I was like, I feel like I could have caught that one, but yeah. <laughs> um, um there were a lot of them I did not know. Okay. But so so still, like you just told me though that uh this uh that uh Robert Rodriguez made a movie for seven grand. So this uh 1.5 mil, that you can you can buy some stuff for that. You can yeah. crash a car or two. Yeah, but you know, you have, you know, you're thinking of all, you have to think of, you know, music license goes into that. Filming in Los Angeles. You know, Robert Rodriguez was filming in like a small Mexican town that he didn't have any permits oh, for. Yeah, you know, like if you're going to film on an LA street, you have to shut down traffic. You have to do all this mm-hmm. stuff that is, that adds up very, very quickly in terms of yeah. budget. Um, but yeah, you know, like so, you said, the cast goes for a bit. You have all these incredible, yeah, yeah. mind-blowing special effects that this movie is famous. <laughs> and then they do for. crash some cars, and then yeah, the car does fly. That's true. Um, <laughs> so uh, okay, maybe let me go with you on Hunter on this one. Um, yeah. It doesn't always make sense, and um, you were we were talking about the ending being like such a small part of the movie, and so out there. Um, where he gets in the car with the alien in it, which previously the symptoms of there being an alien in the car was that the car is hot. But mm-hmm. apparently if the right sort of crazy person is driving, then oh, well, it isn't hot. Nah, don't even wor- that, who cares? Who cares? Who right. cares? <laughs> well, okay, great. Who cares is what I was going to ask. This is why I'm asking you, uh, Hunter, mm-hmm. which is like, I feel like a lot of the movie doesn't totally make sense. And that's fine. I'm fine with that. I can handle that. Um, but is that because of the way they were making a movie. Is that like, because the writing was not that good. Is it because they are beyond making sense because they're cool punk artists? Like how, (laughs) what is going on with that? Um, well, I would say that, uh, in order to arrive at a good answer to that question, which I would say I, uh, in kind of, I, I like the ending, but I do Mm -hmm. not know what it means for the story. Uh, Considering the fact that I enjoyed every single thing about the movie and including the ending, even though I do not understand what it means in this situation where I'm at currently would be to say that it's probably warranting another viewing and some like investigation of the text to figure out why the movie ends this way, because I don't really understand why, to be honest. I mean, 
it's a they they're essentially abducting themselves mm-hmm. by aliens, I guess. Well, mm-hmm. the uh, the guy who's driving at the end, he is an alien. Right? Yes, yes, that's... but he gets in the car with him. Wait, he just is an alien. Yeah, yeah. That's why he has all. That's those... Why it's so weird? Yeah, get huh. it. Uh, no, but yeah, I've always well, thought the guy driving the car was really weird too. So was he also an alien? No, he was the scientist who lobotomized himself. Or maybe oh, right, he was lobotomized, right? Maybe he's an alien uh, wearing him like a like a suit, an egg like like invasion yeah. invasion of the body snatchers type. Thing. Oh, or yeah. that, yeah. Too, but yeah. But it's one of those. I mean, I think that this is the type of movie that like you're not really man. supposed to Walk. think about it too much. Yeah, you're supposed to just sort of go with it. Uh, and like it's the the journey is what's important, and even then, it's not that much as much as a bunch of silly non sequiturs and a lot of weird style. Right. Um, it's also a comedy, like yeah, especially yes. at the end there, where each different like kind of all of the different groups vying to get the car all show up at once. I love that. That is so yeah. hilarious. Like when the guy shows up with the Bible, it is just walking towards the car with it. And then uh, getting shot. Yeah. So, so the, 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 the like, aliens in a car and everyone's been chasing this car, including uh, the, the deep state uh, yeah. people. Yeah. And, the deep state. Yeah. Um, the and lady the, with the metal hand. Yeah. The lady uh, with the metal hand who works for the government in some way. This the kid from the UFO thing, although they joined, who I believe they were enemies and then they're joined forces now. No, and she then, found out uh, you get to torture people if you join them. So she joins them. Apparently she's <laughs> that. Um, uh, and then I, also I, the, the, the religious people. Anyway, all, I'm trying to explain for people who haven't seen it, but just like all these different groups have been chasing this car and the various different factions of repo men. They all end up in this big climax together. And then it turns out no one can touch the car because it kills you. Yeah, Except for the guy these, who is maybe an alien. There's these two Asians who are sitting on the back of this truck. And he's just like, man, I fucking love this job. Uh, <laughs> you said agents, just in case everyone didn't hear that entirely. Agents. Agents, yes. Yeah. Two agents uh, who are just yeah. just sitting there giving like uh, like those two Muppets in the balcony of the theater commentary, yeah, yeah, commentary yeah. on everything that's happening. I love those two guys. Yeah, they're uh, really fun. I mean, like reminding me that it's a comedy is super helpful, actually. I think because it's like, <laughs> no, I mean, like, because it it like it is funny, but it's also trying to do some like, I don't know. It's tr- it feels like it's trying to be punk rock art and not just trying to be a comedy. It feels like maybe it was trying to say something and I missed it. So like thinking of it as like this is all this is like this is like the comedy is not a side effect of this other stuff. This mm-hmm. is like one of the primary missions is important. Right. Yeah, but well, I mean, that also, I think that that kind of kind of goes into like that idea of um, like uh, people degrading certain genres of movie. Like, just because right. something's a comedy doesn't mean that it can't not be saying something or have some kind of bigger purpose there. Well, but like, my course, point was originally that I was frustrated that I didn't. It was unclear what people were saying and what the movie was saying. And if you say like, oh, it's a comedy, like, okay, well, then I'll be lenient about that in a way that I wouldn't if this was trying to be an art film. Yeah, I mean, but this is also like there's definitely stuff to say about, you know, like I blame society for what went wrong with me and the way his parents are like zombies watching a tele like a televangelist. Right. right? Right. Definitely Mm -hmm. things that take away like do they like end up making a big, you know, uh, 
big picture at the end, maybe not, but there's definitely stuff along the way yeah. that you can definitely see what they're getting at here. I a hundred percent agree with exactly the way you just put it in that scene by scene. If you, if you at the end of every scene stopped it and said like, what do you think that was trying to communicate? I would have an answer every time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I know what the answer, what the whole thing makes up. Like what well, that the sounds o- like, that sounds like a good description of a comedy to me, which is that you're parodying things. You have a point of view about characters and moments in society, but overall the end of the movie isn't telling me one big thing. That's, I, I think, think that's, that makes sense. It's not exclusively how comedy has to be, but that's a way right. that a lot of comedies work where it's like, yeah, it's almost like a, really like a standup special would have those qualities where Absolutely. it's like, you know what each joke is supposed to mean, but maybe the special itself. I don't know if it has an overall. Point. I mean, I would sort of be... prefer that it don't. This movie ends with Emilio Estevez being asked, like, what about this bigger thing, essentially? (laughs) Fuck that, and gets his uh, (laughs) flies away, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Of kind of like that idea of like, yeah, he he flies away in a painted neon green uh, Chevy Malibu. Yeah, Uh, blacklight Chevy Malibu. Which, um, yeah, I'm sure could have been a nicer car if they had had more budget. Um, <laughs> uh, so I guess my my last question about this is like, so what's the arc of a filmmaker like this? So this is Alex Cox. I, I was I, I don't know anything else that he's done. Um, I think like with Kevin Smith, you like make this punk rock movie. People like it more than you expected. And so your next movie, you get a little more money. And then people like that enough that you get more money. And then eventually you make a, a big budget movie and mm-hmm. then probably it sucks. And then you stop doing that for a while. Um, like it feels like I get the impression that Hollywood promotes filmmakers to the point of incompetence or they give them impossible tasks. Like it feels like they reward you with making cool indie movies by making you make big budget movies that maybe you're not, maybe are different art forms even. I mean, I feel like, crazy? I feel like with Alex Cox, because the next movie uh, he made was Sit at Nancy, um, which is also, I mean, it's kind of just like more along the lines of this as far as the level of production you're talking about. It's like Mm. more money, but it's not out. It's not like it's not like Alex Cox got picked up by Hollywood right after this and like started making big Now, if he made this movie and then maybe one more he'd be directing a Star Wars film next. Well, yeah, that is how we do it now. Now, the way it works is if you make anything and it even gets like a, it, it even makes a little bit of sense for you to make another movie, the mouse comes to your door, knocks yeah, on your door, like, and it's like, get it, make me money, or you either quit. You either get a Star Wars movie or a Marvel movie, the end. Yeah, well, you have I to mean, already have decided which way you want to go with that, too. You know, there's... There's a lot of examples of that, and there's definitely a lot of examples of sort of like the Alex Cox type guy who, you know, made a few movies after this, had his shot at the Golden Ring, made the big studio movie, which is like this Ed Harris Western. It did oh, really Walker. bad. Yeah. yeah. And it basically pit him in direct jail, which is a thing that happens. Right, right, right. right. Well, but, that's what, I and mean, now that would happen if your Disney, if your Star Trek or Star Wars movie is not good, is then yeah, you go but, to direct jail, right? But also at the same time, there is like, you know, for every Alex Cox or, you know, even someone like Kevin Smith, who kind of never did the big studio movie until like way later, he basically just stuck at very small, low budget movies that, Oh, he's made money, so he's got to make another one. 
you know, when I when I think of like a really successful version of this, I think of someone like Richard Linklater, who mm-hmm. you know made Slackos and started very small and independent, and then has gone you know between you know twelve year passion projects and big Hollywood you know comedies. It's just like interesting people who could do or like someone like Steven Soderbergh or you know Robert Rodriguez is a really good example. You know, guy makes weird movies in his garage for kids and then he goes and makes battle angel you know just kind of goes back and forth between whatever he wants i've never Uh, heard of walker by the way i just pulled this up and ed harris western you know i like that normally that's a that's a thing that i have enjoyed previously right yeah in in westworld so like it's a weird one it's not this one sounds good yeah um not good i have not seen it all the way through but i've seen bits of it and it's it's got a lot it's of weird anachronisms. Uh, maybe it is good. I'll have to check it out. But yeah, that's basically his last big movie he made. He's got kind of pit in director's jail after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but so okay. So that sounds like I'm kind of right then. Like if this movie, he got a big movie with Ed Harris, and if it had been good, he'd be making Disney movies after this. Hmm. Well, right? I mean, you don't have to do that. There's a lot of big directors who don't. Well, sure, but everybody likes a nice house. Yeah, but. <laughs> Well, and also that's how things work more today. But that that I don't think that's how it would have played out for Alex Cox if he'd come. He would have come up, I guess, in the '90s making big Hollywood movies, yeah. where directors still got a little more, I think, freedom than they get today overall. He made a Repo Chick in 2009. Repo Chick, yeah, that's, that's what a it's sequel called? by Alex Cox in 2009 huh. called Repo Chick. I wonder if oh oh the cover does not look yeah the cover makes it look questionable yeah the cover makes comedy. it look pretty bad uh, um anyway you got seven million for that look at that um interesting well okay so um th- I guess I guess I just want to say I'm I'm out of questions I want to wrap on this gotta do a quick thing I'm gonna do thank a meat buddy and get out um but I did kind of like it yeah, yeah I feel like I need to say that. Like yeah, I kind of like rules. Yeah. I mean, like, well, okay. Look, you can't be mad at me when I'm wrong, and then bored when I'm right. <laughs> like, you got to be happier for me if I was no, able I'm... to. Like, I was like, this is it was weird, and it didn't make a lot of sense. And I, it's very difficult for me when characters behave in a way that doesn't seem justified by anything going on in the world. It's very frustrating for me. Um, and so the fact that with all of that, I was like, oh, it's pretty fun. There's still some cool shit going on. Yeah. I don't care that the ending doesn't make any sense. Like I can get into that. I, I really I like Harry Dean Stanton, and I'm yeah. real. I was really glad to watch. Also, he's got two movies on season three thus far because he was an alien. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. So yeah. He's, he's at fun. two. If we he can work another one in guy. with him. Yeah. I also. I mean, I feel like we didn't actually. We didn't like. I, I don't think the movie even spent enough time uh, with the fact that uh, this whole repo business is like really fucked up. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> super fucked up um like it just like and a punk rock kid you'd think like he he's like ah not you you're they're bad guys and then he's like real quick fine yeah yeah Um, yeah that i he 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 clicked into it pretty easily but he was also kind of a piece of shit himself you know yeah he was the type of main character where i could watch him get his ass kicked and even though i'm on his side like because i i'm with the protagonist most of the time even if they're awful uh, I can watch him get his ass kicked and be like, yeah, fuck you, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. Um, 
And I look forward to him cleaning up and becoming a coach. Yeah. Honestly, I kind of, I, I, I had, this is my first time seeing Repo Man. Yeah, I, um, I, I'm only just now realizing that the way you're, set, you're speaking has indicated you've never seen this before. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I actually wrote a movie in my early 20s that I'm now realizing is very similar to Repo Man. I think there's something about. What parts? Uh, about it all being centered on a car and the car is, so like in my movie, so the elevator pitch for the movie I wrote is, um, it's like the movie Grease, but the mm-hmm. car, Grease Lightning, is Christine, the Stephen King car that comes to life and kills people. So, oh, okay. Um, That's a good pitch. Yeah. So, so my my script is like these greasers, and they're all they're all funny, but they're kind of like shitty dudes being shitty fifties greasers. Um, and then their car is evil and kills people. But it is, I think the idea of making an independent movie that is centered around a car, because a car is an expensive piece of movie prop that basically everyone has. Because we just have, have yeah, cars. yeah. We all have them. And they're, you can film them and they look impressive. You know, it makes, uh-huh. it feels like a movie if you do stuff with cars. So I, I do feel like there is a, there is <laughs> a part of this movie that has that exact same way of thinking about it. Oh, well, I, I'm fascinated by that. And I'm sorry that they took your idea, even though it's very different. Well, also, my, I mean, mine came, the, if anything, I probably heard about Repo Man and stole their idea. You know, yeah, I mean? this movie is as old as me. It's yeah. or six months older than me, in fact. So Whoa. I can imagine that it's before your script came out. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that, was a, that was a great pitch. Okay, so we're going to do a couple more things before we leave. But first, an annoyingly slow sting. to thank a meat buddy get to thank let me start that over we get to thank a meat buddy <laughs> we have a new meat buddy on the show and as you know when you become meat buddy uh we give you a thank you segment where uh we play one of any number of games or have a discussion that is your uh choice so today our our meat buddy for this week is jeff from mountain view uh who joined our new metreon this week which uh, you can all do by going to metreon.com or you can just find us on patreon the normal way um and uh jeff says um for my segment i would like to do i would like you guys to discuss your favorite movie but in this case what i would like is your first deep cut on your favorite movie list so wait what? like so like your favorite movie that is probably not everybody else's favorite movie your first if you're like starting from your top of your favorite movies and going down what's the first one that somebody would be like wow that's kind of a deep cut does that make sense Oh, I get what you're saying. Okay, so like, what's the most obscure movie? So yeah, like, what's a, really what's a love? surprise pick on your top ten or something like that? Um, the your your most favorite, most surprising pick. So, um, for Jeff, uh, he says that his would be Metropolitan. Um, Whit Stillman is deeply underrated among his generation of writers and directors, and uh, his first film is the most impressive of his five excellent films to date, uh, made with almost no budget or established stars. Are you guys familiar with Metropolitan? I have not seen Metropolitan. I am not interesting none of us know okay well then successfully deep cut jeff yeah very uh, nice uh do you guys know other wit stillman films wit stillman i'm yeah i'm yeah. looking at this guy oh, up this right is, now yeah yeah this oh, is last day's a disco yeah this is a very successful deep cut jeff this is impressive so this is a 19 metropolitan is a 1990 rom-com mm-hmm. um and the direct the debut of wit stillman um all right interesting 
Um, all right. Yeah, I've not seen these. So he also did Barcelona, Last Days of Disco, Damsels in Distress, and Love and Friendship from 2016. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you got me. I have nothing to say about that because that <laughs> is obscure. Um, so yeah. So what's your uh, what's your most favorite, most obscure? Like if those yeah. are your two categories, what's the highest total score of those two things? Sure, sure. Um, I got I got an obscure. Or so my my favorite movie I think I've already talked about on the show is Chungking Express. Yes, uh, by Wong Kar Wai. Uh, I won't really say anything more about that. But if I could just bring well, it up, I do again, want to say since to... you bring that up again, I want to say I read this mailbag letter a couple weeks ago about that movie, and I and I was like, oh, that's your favorite movie, and I had forgotten we'd talked about that previously oh, yeah, movie. Yeah. So yeah. I was no worries. I was stupid. Uh but anyway, yeah, cool. But I do so here's my obscure uh pick. Well I've got two I could go with. I think be, I guess I'm also say it doesn't have to be obscure in that we haven't heard of it. It could just be like a surprise that it's on that list. Oh sure. Well I'll take well this, I don't know how surprising it'll be that I just want to talk about this very weird movie that I love yeah, a great. lot. Let's do it. Um that I would it's so weird I would never bring it onto this show, basically. Oh that's that's where it lies. I like that it, and I, I wouldn't really put it on anybody else to watch it. Well, it's crazy long. It's like it pushes three hours. It's called. It's a Russian movie called Hard to Be a God, um, and it is it is a Russian science fiction movie. Uh, it's actually I think it came out in the 2010s, uh, so it's, it's not very old. Um, way too long, but it is about um, it is about a a scientist from Earth has gone to another planet and this other planet they're like in the middle of their version of the dark ages um and everyone on this planet is stupid they're all really 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 (laughs) dumb they're so they're so crazy dumb that he is like a superhero there just because he knows regular stuff um (laughs) oh i love this premise it's really great premise. Uh, it's a very strange movie, though. Not a lot happens. Uh, it's mostly mm. you. F- so, so one one of the things, my favorite no, no, choice like that they, it. yeah, yeah, no, you, you trust me, man, you would not like it, even though, <laughs> even though the the premise is really great, and I can I pitch it in a, a way to make it great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's three hours long. A lot of the movie is you watching the main character try to get to the next place he needs to go. And one thing Mm. that they decide to do to try and emphasize how stupid people are on this planet and the stupidity displayed is like really affecting. Um, But they decide to have the actors get confused constantly where they're supposed to go and end up bumping into the camera person and getting (laughs) in the way of the shots and distracting from the shots by making like weird faces. And somehow this does not break like the story that they're telling because that just feels like the rules of this world are the really dumb extras all know they're in a movie and they're being really annoying about it. Uh, And, and they're, I mean, they're, it's really dumb. It like a lot of the movie is just you watching people be really, really crazy, stupid. That is fascinating. I, it's weird for you to make it sound so good and also tell me that I wouldn't like it. That's three hours, a, three hours, yeah, bud, and not right, a lot of, not va- very little plot, very a slow little plot. three hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty tough. And um, even what I just described, I'm making it sound funny and you probably would be like, oh, this is funny. But there is a point where it is like the movie is, it, it does feel like it is really trying to make you look at like, look at how many people we can have be stupid. Okay. Actually, one more thing I gotta say about this movie. They decided that on this planet, 
and it's based off a book, by the way, I should mention that, um, that there is this like sludge, this like dark brown sludge on this planet that like gets you high or something. So a lot of the people put dirt and mud and nasty goop all over themselves all the time in the movie. Um, It's just part of the rules of the world that the movie exists in. Love this. Yeah. I made it sound um, a lot better than uh, maybe you should watch pick. it. What's the, what's the name of it again? Uh, it's called It's Hard to Be a God. Okay, I'm just putting. I'm going to include these in the show notes so you don't have to remember everything. You yeah, come yeah. back and look it up. But man, that sounds fun. Um, Anthony, what about you? What's your surprise favorite movie? Um, I'm trying to think of something that like everything I keep thinking of kind of like feels like it fails one of the two kind of quality things sure like right, I, yeah first thing i thought of was something like primer but i don't know how obscure that movie really That's is the time travel one right yes. yeah that movie rules oh yeah that i like that a lot definitely a movie that a lot of people has feel like it's gone to um it's taken on kind of a life of its own recently in that case i would like his follow-up movie upstream color mm-hmm. i really really love uh, even though I would understand why people don't. And then I mention it on this podcast a lot, but I think one of my favorite movies of all time that is definitely gets a lot of love, but I'm always surprised by how many people haven't seen it is American Movie, which is a documentary about these two dumb filmmakers in Wisconsin. Uh, right. and it is one of my favorite documentaries ever made and one of my favorite movies ever made. It's just phenomenal and i definitely know there's a lot more i just can't think of any right yeah, now it's such, such a hard question i had a little more time to think about it than you guys did and i still don't have a great answer but that that's awesome i mean i primer is such an interesting choice because that's another movie like we're talking about today like that was made for like 18 dollars, right yeah it's like seven thousand eight thousand yeah. dollars something like that and it's super interesting and like what it did like i mean what it is as a time travel movie which i'm sort of obsessed with time travel and so like that is such an interesting way of doing it. And I, I think if he'd had a million dollars would not have been better. So it's really interesting. Yeah. I like very much. Um, yeah. I don't, I, I wish I had a great answer. I don't know anything obscure at all. Um, so I guess what I would say from my top movies that I recently picked for letterboxd, um, the thing that would be probably the most surprising is uh, fantastic. Mr. Fox. That's a good one. I have had this feeling leaving a thing uh, mm-hmm. that where it is absolutely flawless, where I wouldn't change anything, where it's like everything feels perfectly done, but also surprising repeatedly. And like I've had it maybe a handful of times in my life. And one of those was leaving Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like I just could not smile more broadly than I did walking <laughs> home from that film. It's just it's so funny. It's so beautiful. Like I love stop motion and it's just so beautifully done. Right. And it's just it's just a great little story. Man, I loved everything about that movie. Uh yeah, it's just definitely one delight. of my favorite Wes Anderson movies. Full and stop. I so I have not seen a lot of Wes Anderson and I have been told that I wouldn't like it. Um, I mean, if you like Fantastic Mr. Fox, you'd probably like at least some of his movies. Uh, like, yeah, I I do like um, like strong visual style. Um, although I also do like some satisfying storytelling, and I've been led to believe that's not always his thing. 
What? No, his his movies are story story movies. Like okay, All right. they, maybe they I, have maybe, a beginning, middle, and end. He doesn't I mean, play most, with the structure so much. My wife told me that I wouldn't like it, and she's usually pretty good at these things. So I think um, I think maybe what people are doing is saying that because he's aesthetically a little pretentious. Yeah, yeah. I think they might be taking that a little like put I'm, taking that deeper into the movie than I'm it is. very pretentious. Yeah, like I'm open yeah. to that, dude. You I mean, totally are. <laughs> it seems like it might be right up my alley. I um, mean, he does a lot of like swerves, and sometimes, like, I would suggest like not watching like Dojin Limited. Oh uh, yeah, I don't or, like that or, one. Or like yeah. maybe even Life Aquatic. Um, I would I would say maybe avoid those. But now I love I, that one. Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. I would say start with like royal tenenbaums or grand budapest hotel you are gonna love both those i, I mean, feel like i would like the hotel one is the one that i've like that's looked like something that i would really like um the artistic like stylistically visually it looks really intriguing i don't love ben stiller and so i've been more afraid yeah of the tenenbaums. he plays an asshole in the movie so i think you'd be you'd have it'd be easy he's it, okay. it would be easier to deal with, I guess. Is what right. I'm saying. I and mean, again, he plays a lot of if, assholes, but yeah. if you yeah, liked, if you liked Fantastic Mr. Fox, I can think of no reason why you wouldn't like uh, either of those other movies. They're okay. so great. of a piece. What a great, um, what a great thing to get out of the segment. Yeah. Um, I've brought this up before on the show too. I guess the, the other thing is that I like the, one of the most. One of the movies where I felt that way, where I felt like sort of blown away, was watching Annihilation with you, Anthony. And I have such a strong because this is like while I was still or this is right after I stopped being a movie critic. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to see a different movie. And on the way in, the guy, there was a person running a screening who was a friend of mine from when I was a movie critic. And he was like, hey, do you want to see Annihilation instead of for free instead of the movie you were going to pay to see? And um, I don't know what we're going to go see. But anyway, so we went and saw the screening with the crit- this critic screening. And I loved it i was like so blown away by this movie and we walk out and all the critics are standing around in a circle and the critics hated it the critics were like man that sucked right and it was like yeah this is a bad yeah we none of they us like this oh i and hate that i was so crushed and so embarrassed that i was like yeah yeah that i i get it and then i didn't say anything and i secretly loved it and i do feel like it got kind of ignored when it came out and then like later i've heard people say that they liked it so i think that movie ruled that movie freaking ruled that movie has definitely gone through a very quick turnaround of cultural reevaluation and has easily if i remember correctly part of it was that it has nothing to do with the book it's based on yeah i didn't read the book nothing comment yeah no no i'm saying but i think that's one of the reasons why people were immediately like ah that was that they liked the book and then were surprised by how different it was but just visually it's one of the most incredible movies i've ever been through yeah and also just like so tense and so interesting and i'm surprised you liked it though because the ending is so puzzling like it does not land you in a very but i like i don't mind well first of all i feel like now I, I can't remember it well enough because it's been a couple years, but I remember feeling like, oh, I've solved this puzzle. Like, I felt like oh. I knew the answer to this. And and I actually felt like one of the, I feel like one of the things that they were making fun of was the movie was like more settled on the answer than the book was, maybe. Interesting. I, mean, I don't just, remember that feeling from the, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe I watched a couple that years. movie wrong. <laughs> Man, I loved that movie. I should watch that movie again. I just loved it so much. I just, the the conceit of like DNA mashups leading to these creatures throughout the world just visually again like the 
the bear with the human skull part of his uh-huh, skull uh-huh. that screams a human scream is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that was, and is yeah, it stuck with me as much as any image I've ever seen in a movie screen. Just bear human skull human scream, which even feels like a spoiler. I, I wouldn't have said this two years ago because it's so good. But uh, man, that bear. I just want like I, I every once in a while I'm just like oh man remember that bear and then I'll just like look up a picture of the bear because it's mm-hmm. just the production design movie so good anyway but it yeah, reminded me honestly that movie reminded me of uh, one of my favorite movies uh, Stalker the Russian mm-hmm. sci-fi movie by Tarkovsky super oh, great and also based on a book that is also related to Hard to Be a God that I was talking about just a second ago so there you go. Yeah, I I have that marked on my letterbox want to watch list, but I think just because it was one of your favorite movies and I just put all your favorite movies on my want to watch list. Oh, that's awesome. I was like, I want to understand this better. Um, I haven't watched them yet, so it's not like don't give me too much credit. Right, right. Um, yeah. All right. Anyway, that was, a, that was a fun convo. I like that. Makes me want to go see Bear. Okay, one more thing before we go. Last thing before we go. I'm sorry for the lengthy episode. Anthony, what are you eating tonight? As soon as I let you go? Uh, I, it's a, uh, it's burrito night. So it's I'm going to go downstairs and make burritos. Right. Nice. Okay. So let me get out of here so you can make burritos. But first, oh, actually just to wrap that up. Thank you so much for being a meat buddy, Jeff. Thanks for becoming yeah, a thank Metreon. you. We really appreciate it. It's just, it's just so incredible and it really helps, uh, keep us floating down. I like the, the way you let it in where you were like, we have to thank this guy. And it gave me an idea of starting a show where all of the Patreon stuff, we treat it like. The second anybody signs up for anything, we're like, oh, it's a huge all bummer. right, well, I guess we'll do the thing that we said we do. <laughs> and that, that would just be I like mean, the relationship with it. That well, that was sort of the structure of the show for a long time was that because it was like mostly we mostly focused on bad movies and books. It was right. like the audience would pay to, to sponsor you. an episode to torment us. Yeah, because yeah. we our our artistic insight early on was that no one wants to pay me to have a good time but they would love to pay me to have a bad time. Right. People love to force you to be sad. Like that's more than like to delight you. So um, that's like the sponsorships for years, just people trying to make us sad. Um, so I guess I have had that some of that relationship, but in this case, just a misspeaking. Thank you for coming meet buddy, Jeff. And it was a fun conversation. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you can become a meet buddy. by going to read dash.com slash meet buddies or uh, metreon.com. And if you donate to the show, become a regular donator to the show, then we will um, have a little segment where we talk about you or about whatever you want. Um, lastly, before we go, I want to dip, take a dip into the mailbag. I have an email I've been sitting on for a couple weeks because we haven't had time and we don't today either, but I'm going to read it real fast. I want to jump in. So we got an email from destiny that I think is just so delightful. Um, so destiny says, uh, I don't think I've sent you an email since I arranged to have you all do a birthday show for my son Guthrie, um, which Anthony, you may remember um, a few years back episode 435, we watched Mac and me. Uh-huh. And um, uh, we and when and Destiny became a meat buddy, and so we donated we we dedicated that show to her son Guthrie, who was turning twelve at the time. This was Guthrie's twelfth birthday, and uh, he's now fourteen, and they're still listening to the show. And he is um, Guthrie is still an adherent listener, so um, adherent is kind of a intense word for that. But yeah, uh, so what's up, Guthrie? Good to hear from your mom again. Um, also, Guthrie's twin sister Eudora is also a fan, so. What's up, twins? Good to good to hear from you guys. Um, and then uh, Destiny goes on to say, "I'm really enjoying slightly condescending film school." Fun fact: I myself went to real world film school, and I am digging this, which I think is just an incredible thing to have somebody who like actually uh, went to Cal Arts and studied film, and then is hearing our discussions of film and being like, "Cool, 
instead of like embarrassed. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, that's a great compliment. Um, and then Destiny includes a couple of uh, comments, not very timely on episodes that we talked about before that uh, she just wanted to contribute to. So um, one oh, uh, for not timely comments. That's totally, great. of course. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you're just catching up right in, I'm into it. Um, but Destiny says, uh, so to answer a question that we asked at the very early on in slightly condescending film school. Yes. Seven Samurai in Japanese is alliterative. Oh, oh. yes. Good. Uh, good. It's, it's Shichinin no Samurai, <laughs> something like that. Anyway, not great. Um, but, uh, and Six would not have been alliterative. <laughs> Can you read more Japanese, please? I, yeah, <laughs> how would you say it, Hunter? No, no. I just, I, 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 I'm not trying to be put on the spot here myself. I just like. Oh, of course not. That would be unpleasant. Yeah, well, I sure. mean, I did take Japanese for two years, so the, you know, you be here, let me put it, it in. Let me put it in front of me, but, uh, um, but, uh, yeah, um, and and she says also, uh, just as FYI, alliteration is very much something that is liked in the Japanese language as our sound alike words. So it was not a random decision, probably not a random decision at all, to make it right. seven and not six, which I like very much. Um, uh, I would love to be better at pronouncing Japanese words. It's uh, I should probably yeah. take more time yeah. on that. Don't worry. Next week, I'm gonna I'm gonna print out the script for Final Fantasy VII, the original <laughs> Japanese text, and make you read Ooh, most of it. We'll work through that. Yeah. That sounds yeah. fun. That sounds like a fun exercise. I had I did start trying to learn Korean this week. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, I just started working Kansame on some da. lessons. On le- mm-hmm. That's all um, I remember. I, I just started working on the like uh, alphabet. That's where I am. Still trying to work on the alphabet. Mm-hmm. Hangul um, or whatever is that right? I think that is. They didn't tell me that on my Duolingo what lessons. They, they didn't were tell just you like, what, it, what, it, what the alphabet is called. Nope, they were just like, here are some symbols and how it sounds, and they all sound similar. Good luck, and then you just try it until you get better at it. It's very hard, um, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I'm living in, I, I'm living in Koreatown, and I do not recognize the Korean alphabet, and that feels rude of me. So I'm doing That's my best. Awesome. I love um, that. And uh, anyway, so maybe I, at some point I will have better pronunciations of Korean words if we do that. Um, but no promises. Um, point number two from Destiny. I was so happy to know that Anthony hates the Revenant as much as I do. Yeah. <laughs> I went to that when it came out because my dad kept telling me how much he loved it. And oh my God, it made me so angry. It looks pretty. And my dad worked in film as a camera guy. So I get that part. But I will yell at him about it when I see him. Ugh, that movie. I call it just fucking die already. Cheers, Anthony. <laughs> so there's a compliment to you. I don't remember hating it as much. I don't know. It's, I guess I just think it's pretty. It's I think one it's of the like worst, the... worst be- best picture winners, or best director, whatever I mean, one. It sucks. It's so best bad. Actor, right? You got best actor for that. Yeah, one of the worst lead performances in movie history. It's just awful. Tom I mean, Hardy's I, really good in that. Uh, I like Tom Hardy a lot. Yeah, um, and I've liked DiCaprio in some other things. So I feel like yeah, I like DiCaprio too. He's a great actor. He's yeah. really he's just cold. And that's cheating. <laughs> that's not cheating. He's legit. I don't want to be cold. Um, and then one <laughs> last thing uh, from Destiny was some suggestions for our film school list. Uh, a suggestion for film school list. Sweet Smell of Success, directed by Alexander McKendrick. Ooh. Are you guys familiar? Uh, I'm familiar with the film. I've not seen it, but I w- yeah, um, we should totally watch that. So Destiny mentions it because partially fun fact, he was my directing teacher at Cal Arts. Um, he also directed Lady Killers, the old good one. And mm-hmm. the man in the white suit, and those are all totally, also totally worth watching. But Sweet Smell of Success has Burt Lancaster and Tony mm-hmm. Curtis being terrible people with the snappiest lines ever. 
Um, and if you care about such things, real jazz in the soundtrack, it's pretty great. So I like that suggestion uh, a lot. And I'm going to put it on at least my personal list for now. And we'll see if it gets the votes in our uh, conversations to become a film school uh, episode. That sounds really great. Thanks for writing in. It's so good to hear from you, Destiny. And um, from, and so good to hear that um, Guthrie and Eudora are still hanging out. Um, so good talking to you guys. Uh, all right. And then everybody, if you want to write in, you can go to podcast at read dash. You can send an email podcast at read dash week.com, or you can use the contact form at read dash week.com. And we really appreciate all of the email. I still try to answer Twitter and sometimes Facebook stuff. We're on those two platforms, more Twitter than Facebook. Facebook's so hard for me. Um, but, uh, because it's ruining the world to be clear, not just that I am lazy. Um, all of that too. Yeah. Um, but if you email me, I definitely see it. So podcast at read dash is the easiest way to be for sure in the mailbag. And thank you to everybody who emails. All right, everybody, that is it for our show. Thank you so much for hanging out. We'll be back in next week. Next week, we are talking about the 1979 film, The Warriors. Yeah. So this is Hunter's pick. And um, Hunter, you wanted us to stick around in the punk rock filmmaking world a little bit. Sure, Um, yeah. Similar era, similar um, uh, budget. Uh, yeah, and except this time it's New York City and instead of L.A. That's yeah, really I, this, this is such an interesting. I, I, I'm so fascinated by this budget. I don't know. That's a weird way to think of film by budget, I guess. But it does. It is interesting the way it, um, the kind of people who do it and what it creates. So I, I right. like that. And the kind of opportunities it lends the creators uh, for yes. them to be creative and get over the fact that they have a, a, ba- a, a little budget, you know. It is weird that movies' budgets have gone so much higher, but also you could just do it on an iPhone now. Yeah, yeah, it is It is odd the way it's diverged that way. You'd think yeah. it would be a time of uh, people making great shit all the time since you yeah. can just get the stuff and make is, it. Are people still, are, are people making great $7,000 movies right now? Maybe they are, and we're just not and seeing them. Not watching them? Yeah. yeah. That's probably true, actually. I mean, if they're not on, if they're not on Quibi, I'm not going to see it. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm glued to my quibby at this point <laughs> uh awesome or um your uh at&t presents hbo now uh yeah hbo max and turbo max. yeah <laughs> it's just hbo now they, they're dropping the max already oh really they're already giving Are up on that that's hilarious um oh that's funny man imagine just owning everything and then still being so bad at stuff um anyway uh all that and more next week the warriors 1979 uh check it out if you want to watch along with us and also our recommendations of other kind of favorite movies will be on the website and thank you to our meet buddies and to people email us and to you hunter and anthony for hanging out Uh, it's been so great talking to both i will see you guys on friday when we do some video game streaming and i'll talk to everybody else next week take care goodbye bye